How strong is your willpower? How easy do you find personal discipline? This is Monday, January 30th, and this week we're looking at the key difference between Christianity and Judaism. Now, of course, both are monotheistic faiths. We believe in one God and the same Lord. So you wonder, what is the major difference? It is said that one day C.S. Lewis was walking across Oxford's campus when he came upon a discussion about the distinctive nature of the Christian faith. Now, he was in a hurry, so he didn't have time to stop in and join the debate. But on his return trip across campus, he wandered through the same building, and to his surprise, he saw that the discussion was still going on. At this point, he stopped and said, It's easy. It's grace. Yes, that's it in a nutshell. And this week, we will examine what that means and how the grace, the love of God, changes us in a way that the law never could. Now here's our text that we'll be looking at today, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 12. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, nothing could be more surprising than this declaration of Paul to Titus about the engine for this ecosystem of faith. Remember, Paul's been telling Titus how people are called to live in faithfulness, in community, before the watching world. How, how could a community like this possibly function in the pagan context of the Greek island of Crete where Titus is serving? Now, of course, the go-to teaching for the Jewish people was the law. And it's true that God has, had graced his people in the wilderness by giving them his law. He gave his people statutes, not as a plan of salvation, but as a way to order their society, a way to live together. There really was no ethical system like it in the entire world at the time. It's an amazing declaration of how a human community can function. Now, Paul has been explaining this in his letter to Titus as this way of life that God has handed down to his people. But now he makes a stunning departure. You see, the law was something you just had to do. You worked at it. It was all discipline, and the law was always present. It was always speaking a word of instruction to you about how you should live. It also speak, spoke a word of condemnation, because it was impossible to do all of it. It left you with the feeling that there was just something you couldn't get right. There was too much to do. It really was all about what you did. You could call this culture of the Jewish people a should culture. You learned the way you should live. And the goal and measure of your life was how well you performed that should. You were on display and constantly being measured by those around you. Now, at this point in the letter, a good Jewish person would expect Paul to say, Here's the law. This is the way life is to be lived. Now just go and do it. But the problem is that no one can do it in any lasting, incomplete way. 
The law works like the mirror that is held up, that reveals the extensive nature of our weaknesses and flaws. Now we might think that Jesus gave the people a break from the law, that his coming meant that the law was abolished. But read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and you will see that he said not even a single comma or period of the law would pass away. He declared that unless the people surpassed the legalistic Pharisees in keeping the law, they wouldn't stand a chance with God. No, Jesus didn't tone down the law. He said that we might think, well, adultery is the main issue, and it is a big issue. But what about looking lustfully on a woman? This is committing adultery in your heart. Or he said, take murder. Think about the times you've become angry with someone or thought someone was a total fool, <laughs> like maybe driving across Miami encountering the people on the road. Jesus says that the law also takes that into account. You see, if you take the law seriously, you don't have a chance of keeping it. Here was the reality of the law. It was unrelenting. There were no exceptions or free days when you didn't have to do it. It was constant, always present, and therefore always accusing you. Paul even says that the law ends up provoking wrong. We know about this. If there's a hole in a wooden fence and you put up a sign next to it that says, Do not look in this hole. And nearly every kid will. But also, the law doesn't provide the resources you need to obey it. While it requires full compliance, it provides no help whatsoever for the one that wishes to. It leaves us hanging and condemned. And let's add to that, it depends on that which we do not have enough of, that stuff called willpower. Our human wills are just not strong enough to keep, keep us on the job and produce the effort needed. For Paul to tell us about this is to relate his own story. Before he came to faith in Christ, he took the law as seriously as anyone did. He took pride in his performance and was ruthless toward anyone that took a different view. In the process, he persecuted and killed Christians, but in the end, God gave him grace. And this changed Paul's perspective of the law. And this is why he tells Titus this, Look, don't trust the law to empower people to this life in community. It is only God's grace, only God's love that can teach us this and enable us to live in it. And that is the surprise of this passage. Only grace can really help us with the life God calls us to. Let's pray. Lord God, we trust our own strategies of sin management to get our lives on track and to keep ourselves together. Thank you that you know us better. You know that we can't live without your love. Thank you for sending Jesus to redeem us from the constant battle with the law and to bring us into full freedom. We pray in your name. Amen. <music>